We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And away we go, episode 134 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, August 31st, 2021, the final day of August and the day of the cutdown to 53 for the Washington football team. Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, the deadline by which each NFL team must have its active roster down to 53. Washington already has started making cuts. A bunch of cuts were reported beginning on Monday afternoon. Stephen Montez, Isaiah Wright, Joe Walker, Cole Luke. Next segment I have for you, the certified etched in stone Al Galdi podcast projected season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. This will be a roster projection so accurate, so precise, so insightful that Ron Rivera may change his plans for Washington season opening 53-man roster upon listening to this installment of the podcast. That's okay, Don Ron. I have my cell phone right next to me so you can hit me up. But this is a big day, an exciting day on the NFL calendar. I know that it's a tough day for a lot of players. By the way, I always love the lecturing from some of the media on this day. Hey, let's remember that this is a hard day for a number of players. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Okay, this also is a joyous day for many players because they made active NFL rosters. And this is a joyous day for you and me because the NFL regular season is a coming. There is a lot to get into when it comes to the Washington football team's season opening 53-man roster. The decisions, the dilemmas, the strategery. Strategery. Yes, the strategery. I'll get into all of it next segment. Also, we on Monday night had the major league debut of the Nationals' top prospect as a Nat, 
catcher Kbert Ruiz on display. So too was starting pitcher Josiah Gray. Those guys, the top two guys who the Nats got back from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the trade of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. But what was a highly anticipated game at Nationals Park ended up being another Nats loss, uh, 7-4 the final to the Philadelphia Phillies, as Gray had what was easily his worst outing as an ad so far. I'll talk Ruiz, Gray, and the game later in the show. And I'll talk Orioles later in the show. Another loss for them on Monday night, 7-3 the final at the Toronto Blue Jays. But Ryan Mountcastle continues to slay it in this month of August. He has been outstanding this month. And as you hopefully know by now, if you're an O's fan, that's what matters. Not that the O's lost again. Pain now, pleasure later. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Robert Krakauer on the permanent name of the team currently known as the Washington football team. Writes Robert on the name matter. I care about it at a level of two on a one to 10 scale. I am 26 years old, far too old to care about this, especially for such a wretched franchise. Nonetheless, I do have thoughts I'd like to express. You mentioned disliking the Hogs nickname because it is a poor idea to try to recreate the past. I agree. Move on and make new memories. We see it in movies, with every movie being a remake or a sequel or a prequel. It's lame and embarrassing. Building on that point, I wish the team was open to changing the colors as well. Why be married to the burgundy and gold? If they are venturing to rebrand, then do it correctly. They are putting themselves in a box and minimizing their name options by sticking with the color scheme, parentheses, recreating the past. Moving past that piece of fashion trivia would allow them to look at a broader set of nicknames. What if they want to be named the Sea Lions, for example, but can't because they cannot be incorporated into the burgundy and gold color scheme? It's funny to me that they decided to change the name of the team, but can't move on from the colors. It's like moving to a new house, but insisting on the kitchen being painted the same color as the old house. Whatever name they pick will be viewed through the lens of the success of the team on the field. Winning will make the worst name, parentheses, WFT, sparkle, just as losing will make the best name embarrassing. That being said, I hope they make a respectable choice. However, as with every single thing Snyder has done since he cursed us with his presence 20 plus years ago, I see glaring holes in his team's thought process. Shocking, I know. Well, thank you for the email, Robert. Uh, It's notable that you're 26 because you are exactly the kind of fan who the Washington football team is trying to cultivate right now. Washington is needs to get younger fans. I agree with what you said about Hogs. I agree with what you said about the success of the team ultimately determining how we feel about the name. I think there's a lot of truth in that, but I disagree with you vehemently on the colors. The colors should never change. Burgundy and gold until we are dead and cold. Uh, Burgundy and gold as a primary colors is unique. Burgundy and gold as the primary colors looks good. And burgundy and gold as the primary colors is a link to the past, which is important. Even if you think that the name should be changing, I think it's critical and wise for the team to maintain some ties to the past. Not in an effort to cling to the past, I'm against that, but in an effort to respect the past. And in the case of the colors, respect something that fans overwhelmingly have liked. 
burgundy and gold as the primary colors. Keeping burgundy and gold as the primary colors communicates to those who aren't happy about the name change that the name change isn't a complete departure from what those fans have come to know. And even if you think that the name should be changing, it's not wise from a marketing standpoint to alienate those who aren't happy about the name changing. Also, keeping burgundy and gold as the primary colors doesn't limit you that much in terms of options for a permanent name. And I tell you what, if keeping burgundy and gold as the primary colors prevents the name Sea Lions from being the permanent name, then even better. Uh, I love the burgundy and gold colors as the team's primary colors. I recognize that all of this is subjective, but to me, burgundy and gold as the team's primary colors should never change. And I'm glad that at no point in this process has it ever been said or reported that the team was even considering going away from burgundy and gold as the primary colors. Burgundy and gold until we are dead and cold. All right, my friends, the time has come. We must now set the roster, the season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern is the deadline by which each NFL team must trim its active roster to 53. It is then on Wednesday that each NFL team can begin to officially construct its practice squad, which can consist of up to 16 players. But remember, you can't just put a guy on your practice squad. You have to cut him, expose him to waivers, and then you can sign him to your practice squad if he clears waivers. Washington, of course, got smashed in its preseason finale. 37-3 was the final to the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Saturday evening. I went in-depth on that game on Monday's show, episode 133. I found this interesting from Ron Rivera on Sunday during his day-after-the-game Zoom press conference. He admitted that prior to the game, there were probably four spots on Washington's season-opening 53-man roster that were open. But after the game, there were perhaps six spots on Washington's season-opening 53-man roster that were open. Take a listen. Probably four spots that, that, that really were about completely open. And I will say after watching, you know, one more time, two more spots became a, 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 an even bigger battle. So we're looking at at least six guys that, that last night impacted. Six positions were impacted last night off the 53 um, as of right now. Now, there will be some discussions that, that I'm going to have a little later this afternoon. And then tomorrow we'll get together again uh, with the coaches and the personnel, and it may change. But but I, I'll say right now, minimum six guys, six positions were impacted last night. All right. And last night is a Saturday night. So how about that reveal from Ron? I've said this. Ron gives you stuff at his press conferences, and he gave us that on Sunday. Which six spots was Ron talking about? That is the question. Uh, another notable item from Ron on Sunday was him talking about the possibility of trades, including of how one unnamed Washington player had already garnered trade interest. Here was that. Well, one thing that, that that's helpful is, you know, the scuttlebutt that you hear about people inquiring about, you know, people on your roster. I mean, that that's always helpful. It really is. Um, and, you know, we've had uh, one player in particular. We've had uh, a couple of teams that just basically reached out uh, to some people that we know, and they've said, "Hey, look, you know, they've asked about your guy. They, they wanted to know if he's going to make your 53." So that's helpful. Um, so you you try to listen for that stuff. 
Um, we have people looking at social media. Uh, we have people looking at media for each one of the teams, just trying to see if, you know, if, if any of our players get mentioned and what they're saying about their players. Um, that's always a, an interesting indicator, too. So we're trying to get as much information as we can about things. And you should be doing that. Ron then got asked this follow-up question. Does knowing that there is trade interest in a player make Ron think twice about parting with that player? Not necessarily. Um, it does in, in, um, motivate us to call that team and see if that team would be interested in the trade. I mean, that, that's, you know, the more information you get, you know, I, I think the more it gives us the opportunity to investigate things. And believe me, the only thing they can say really is no. And it's not going to hurt my feelings. You know, that, that's the truth of the matter. It, it, to me, it's worth taking that, you know, that next step. And so that's why it's important. You know, we, like I said, we, we, we try to gather as much information we can, even if it is just scuttlebutt. Um, you know, and, and, and but it's at least it, it, it might be something that might lead to something that could help us out. Yeah, you never know. All kinds of possibilities in the assembling of Washington season opening 53-man roster, including Washington acquiring a player cut from another team. Remember what Washington did going into the 2019 regular season, claimed Wendell Smallwood off waivers from the Philadelphia Eagles, who Washington faced in week one of that season. Uh, of course, that game, did that go so well? 32-27 loss at the Eagles. Washington blew a 17-0 second quarter lead. That was the game for which Jay Gruden made Adrian Peterson inactive. And then Jay, during his postgame press conference, famously took a shot at AP. Quote, if we have a game where we think we can run the ball 55 times in I formation, then sure, I'll get him up. End quote. That was classic passive-aggressive Jay. Anyway, that was then. This is now. And so here is the official certifiable, newly minted, Galdi projected season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. We begin on offense. I have Washington keeping three quarterbacks, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Kyle Allen. Steven Montez is being cut. That news broke on Monday afternoon per multiple reports. I do expect him to be signed to the practice squad. I do not think that Washington could get Allen to the practice squad. And so Washington absolutely should keep three quarterbacks on its active roster. Washington has started at least three quarterbacks in each of the last three seasons. Who knows what this upcoming season has in store for us in terms of quarterback performance, quarterback injury, quarterback drama. And so the more options, the better. I have Washington keeping seven receivers. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, Cam Sims, Deami Brown, Antonio Gandy-Golden, and DeAndre Carter. I have heard it suggested that AGG could be in trouble. I think he's in. He looked good in that preseason-ending loss to the Ravens at FedEx Field. And remember, Washington spent a 2020 fourth-round pick on AGG. You don't spend a fourth-round pick on a player only to cut that player before his second season, unless something is really wrong, uh, especially when his rookie season was a lost season due largely to injury. Uh, AGG, remember, was on Washington's reserve injured list for more than two months last season due to a hamstring injury. The difficult call at receiver is receiver spot number seven. And I do think that Washington can and will keep seven receivers. We know that Ron Rivera likes Dax Milne. I like Dax Milne. And Dax Milne offers more upside than DeAndre Carter offers. But I feel like Dax is someone who you should be able to get 
to your practice squad. I mean, he was the third of Washington's three 2021 seventh round picks. Let's think about that. And, you know, not that DeAndre Carter is some ultra coveted player, but he is a veteran returner who has done quite well on punt returns in his career. He has had a fumbling problem. That is true. But Carter, over 63 career regular season punt returns, has averaged 9.35 yards. Uh, That's quite good. That's a lot better than what Washington has done on punt returns each of the last four regular seasons. I could see a team desperate for help at returner, perhaps scooping up Carter, and Washington being unable to get him to the practice squad. So I think Washington keeps Carter on the season opening 53 as the punt returner and maybe the kickoff returner and gets Dax Milne to the practice squad. But I do very much want to keep Dax Milne on the team. And I think Ron Rivera very much wants to keep Dax Milne on the team. Ron has had a lot of nice things to say about Dax Milne. I have Washington keeping three tight ends, Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Samus Reyes. Yes, the Slayin Chilean, as our friend Burgundy Blog has christened Samus Reyes. He is on the Galdi projected season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. Samus Reyes is a fascinating case study. You would think that a guy who had never played football at any meaningful level until this just concluded 2021 preseason would be an easy practice squad placement. But A, he's an athletic freak. B, teams were interested in him. That's why Washington signed him as an unrestricted free agent on April 13th. And C, Ron Rivera already has gushed about Samus Reyes. Ron's press conference the day after Washington's preseason opening loss at the New England Patriots said that Reyes, for whom the game was his first football game at any meaningful level, quote, blocked well, end quote, end quote, might be our most physical tight end, end quote. Although Ron did say that he uh, didn't want to get too far ahead of himself. Uh, Yeah, man, a little too late for that. Uh, That kind of talk only raised the profile of Samus Reyes. Now, look, he's very far from a finished product. I think we all get that. But he does offer upside. And there's very much a feeling when you talk to people that Reyes would get claimed on waivers if Washington tried to get him to its practice squad. And so if you have to choose between Reyes and, say, Ricky Seals-Jones, go with the guy with upside who you seemingly can't practice squad in Reyes. And maybe you can actually practice squad Seals-Jones. I have Washington keeping four running backs, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Peyton Barber, and Jarrett Patterson. Yes, Washington could keep just three backs and Gibson, McKissick, and Patterson. I wouldn't dismiss that happening, but I do think that there's room for Barber. Three things to keep in mind about Peyton Barber. Number one, Barber was very efficient on short yardage runs for Washington last season. Here are the facts. Barber in the 2020 regular season had 28 carries on plays on which Washington had three or fewer yards to go for a first down or a touchdown. 21 of those 28 carries resulted in a first down or a touchdown. That's pretty good. 21 out of 28. Number two, Barber takes care of the football. Barber over his five NFL seasons, 2016 through 2020, has just four fumbles over 645 career regular season carries. And number three, Barber is durable. Barber over his five NFL seasons has played in 79 of a possible 80 regular season games. There's value in Peyton Barber. And obviously there's excitement with Jared Patterson, who perhaps can be Washington's primary kickoff returner and who Ron has compared to Darren Sproles. I have Washington keeping nine offensive linemen. 
Charles Leno Jr., Eric Flowers, Chase Rullier, Brandon Sheriff, Samuel Cosme, Cornelius Lucas, Wes Schweitzer, Sadiq Charles, and Tyler Larson. Now, it's possible that Washington keeps 10 offensive linemen on its season opening 53-man roster, especially given that we are about to embark on the first ever 17-game regular season. This was Ron Rivera on Sunday at his day after the game Zoom press conference on the notion of keeping 10 offensive linemen on the season opening 53-man roster. Um, you love to keep 10, especially like you said, in the light of the extra game. Uh, last year, at one point, we had 16 total offense alignment. Um, that's including the practice squad guys. So we are not opposed to if we have to keep 10 active and five or six on practice squad of us doing that. I can tell you that much right now. Uh, we would do that. Um, if it if it's something that works out and, and works with the numbers, uh, we are not uh, opposed to doing it. Yes, and I'd like to thank whoever did not mute his or her mic so that that typing sound was recorded on the Zoom recording. So Ron told us that 10 offensive linemen is a possibility. I only have room for nine. The first eight are easy. I went with Tyler Larson as the ninth offensive lineman. He is a center. He is a former Carolina Panther, and he did play quite a bit for Ron during his time as Panthers head coach. So Washington this past March 18th, the second day of the NFL's new league year, announced the signing of Larson, who was an unrestricted free agent. Larson entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent at a Utah State with the Miami Dolphins in 2014, but he never played in an NFL regular season game until playing for the Panthers from 2016 through 2020. Larson in 2017 started 10 games for the Panthers due to center Ryan Khalil being injured. Larson actually was with Washington in 2015, but he was waived in the cut down to 53 for that season. Now, entering training camp, I would have had David Sharp as Washington's ninth offensive lineman, but he was on the reserve COVID-19 list for three and a half weeks, July 31st to August 23rd. So it's tough to gauge where Sharp is at. If he's totally fine and good to go, then I would say that David Sharp makes Washington's season opening 53-man roster, but Sharp didn't even start that preseason-ending loss to the Ravens at FedEx Field, even though a bunch of Washington's offensive linemen did not play in that game. I certainly could see Sharp being signed to the practice squad. And remember, Washington seems to like Sharp. Washington traded for Sharp last September. Washington got Sharp by a trade with the Las Vegas Raiders. September 1st, 2020, Washington got Sharp in a 2021 seventh-round draft pick from the Raiders for a 2021 sixth-round draft pick. And Sharp started two games for Washington at right tackle last season. So that is the offensive portion of the Galdi projected season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. I tell you, I can only imagine what Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, and the rest of the guys are going through in figuring out this roster. Putting together a roster is work, just like maintaining a good-looking lawn. And if you don't have the time for the work necessary to have a good-looking lawn, no worries. Let Weedman care for your lawn so you don't have to. You work hard, you deserve to enjoy your weekends, but you also deserve to have a sparkling lawn. So let Weedman take care of it for you. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. And I know that all that sounds simple, and it is simple, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. The best weed controls 
state certified seed. Weedman's Secret Sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow release nitrogen that feeds your roots slowly and effectively. Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. Now, a beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, and so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast a fall tune up at a great price. An aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's 30% off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal, and the price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what to do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209, a 30% discount of the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. I want you to benefit from this deal. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right, we move to the defense in terms of the Galdi projected season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. I have Washington keeping eight defensive linemen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Tim Settle, James Smith-Williams, and Casey Tuhill. Uh, The only question is who is Washington's other backup edge rusher besides Smith-Williams, who Ron has made pretty clear is making Washington's season opening 53-man roster, even though Ron called him James Williams Smith. Very confident in what we've seen from, 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 from James Williams Smith. Yes, very confident. James Williams Smith, James Smith Williams, whatever his name is, he's almost certainly making Washington's season opening 53-man roster. The feeling is that Tuhill is making it too. Now, he has dealt with a toe injury, and he has missed a lot of time because of that toe injury, but there's a belief that Tuhill was allowed to miss so much time with the toe injury due to Washington wanting him to be good to go for the regular season. The two 2021 Washington seventh round picks who are edge rushers, William Bradley King and Shaka Tony, are obvious practice squad candidates. It's possible one of them makes the 53. Bradley King in the win over the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field in Washington's second preseason game had a sack strip that resulted in a lost fumble on the first snap of the fourth quarter. So Bradley King has done some stuff, but my guess would be that Smith Williams and Tuhill are the two backup edge rushers to Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I have Washington keeping five linebackers, Jamin Davis, Cole Holcomb, John Bostic, Kalik Hudson, and David Mayo. First four spots are obvious. Fifth spot is tricky. Multiple options. Uh, I ultimately see it as David Mayo versus Jared Norris, two former Carolina Panthers. Uh, Mayo, though, has played much more on defense than Norris has. So Washington, this past March 18th, second day of the NFL's new league year, announced the signing of Mayo who had been an unrestricted free agent. Mayo has played for, yes, the Panthers. Uh, They took him in the fifth round of the 2015 NFL draft out of Texas State. He played for the Panthers from 2015 through 2018 as mostly a special teams player. He, in fact, led the Panthers in special team snaps in the 2016 and 2017 regular seasons and was number two on the Panthers in special team snaps in the 2018 regular season. But Mayo also has played on defense. He, in the 2019 regular season for the New York Giants, played in all 16 games, including 13 starts 
And Mayo, in that 2019 regular season for Pro Football Focus, had a run defense grade of 90.1, though also a coverage grade of just 48.8. But he does have experience playing on defense. Uh, Mayo, last regular season for the Giants, did play in just 11 games, including two starts due to a torn meniscus in his left knee. When it comes to Jared Norris, Washington did re-sign him in March as an unrestricted free agent. Washington originally signed Norris February 2020 as an unrestricted free agent, but Norris was waived in Washington's cut down to 53 for last season. So if Norris wasn't good enough to make Washington's season opening 53-man roster for last season, why would he be good enough to make Washington's season opening 53-man roster for this coming season, with Washington, in theory anyway, being deeper? Uh, Norris is a special teams ace. I'm sure that Washington would want him for the practice squad. Norris came to Washington having spent his only three NFL seasons, 2016 through 2018, with Ron Rivera and the Panthers. They signed Norris as an undrafted free agent out of Utah in May 2016. Norris played in 28 regular season games for the Panthers from 2016 through 2018, but did not play on a single defensive snap. Every regular season snap of his career had been a special team snap, and Norris did not play in the NFL during the 2019 season. So I think Washington goes David Mayo as that fifth linebacker. I have Washington keeping five corners. William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice. I said Benjamin St. Juice. You like it, the juice, eh? <laughs> yeah. The juice is good, eh? Yes. I like you, the juice. Uh, Jimmy Moreland and Tory McTire. I'm assuming that McTire, if he in fact suffered a concussion in the preseason ending loss to the Ravens at FedEx Field this past Saturday evening, did not suffer a concussion that will land him on the reserve injured list prior to the cut down to 53. I get that five corners aren't a lot. I also get that I'm not including either of two guys who could play big roles on special teams, Troy Apke and Danny Johnson. And we know that Ron loves himself some Apke. That has been made clear. So I would not be surprised if either guy makes Washington's season opening 53-man roster. But here's the way I look at this. Washington already has other special team standouts in Kalik Hudson, DeShazer Everett, and Derek Forrest, assuming all three of those guys make the 53, and I think all three will. Apke was very mixed in coverage in that preseason finale against the Ravens, and Ron at a recent post-practice press conference said that Apke had been mixed in coverage in practice. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. Uh, With Danny Johnson, yes, he in 2020 was Washington's primary kickoff returner for a second time in three seasons, but Washington can have DeAndre Carter and or Jarrett Patterson handle kickoff returns. And keep in mind that Danny Johnson did not play on a single defensive snap for Washington last season. He is viewed pretty much strictly as a special teams player, or so it seems. And be mindful of this. Washington this past offseason did not tender Danny Johnson as a restricted free agent. Washington allowed Johnson to become an unrestricted free agent. Now, Washington did resign Johnson, but that was at least somewhat telling that Washington did not tender Johnson as a restricted free agent. And another thing is this. What do we hear, Ron? say all of the time. Position flex, right? Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, Bobby McCain offers position flex. He can play corner in addition to free safety. McCain for the Miami Dolphins played both free safety and nickel corner. In fact, 
McCain's best single season overall grade with the Dolphins for Pro Football Focus was 76.4 in 2017 when he was a nickel corner. So McCain can serve as Washington's sixth corner. And that brings us to safety. I have Washington keeping six safeties. Landon Collins, Cameron Curl, Bobby McCain, DeShazer Everett, Jeremy Reeves, and Derek Forrest. Derek Forrest, to me, is making the team. Washington spent a 2021 fifth-round pick on him. The tough one here is Jeremy Reeves. I've seen plenty of people not having Reeves on the 53. I do think that it's possible that Washington cuts Reeves, but Reeves played well as Washington starting free safety late last season. Ron, remember, chose to promote Reeves from the practice squad to the active roster rather than sign Eric Reed to the active roster. Remember, Reed felt like he was too good for Washington's practice squad. So I do have Reeves making Washington's season opening 53-man roster. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, I've wondered about DeShazer as well, but he is a special teams ace. And keep in mind that Ron started DeShazer before Ron went to Reeves as Washington's free safety last season. It was DeShazer who replaced Troy Apke as Washington's starting free safety, but DeShazer then got hurt for a second time since becoming Washington's starting free safety. The problem for DeShazer has been staying healthy. So that is the defensive portion of the Galdi projected season opening 53-man roster for the Washington football team. All we have left are the specialists. I shockingly have Washington keeping three specialists, Dustin Hopkins, Tress Way, and the cheese man, Cameron Cheeseman. It is worth noting that kicker Joey Sly is now out there. The Carolina Panthers on Saturday released Sly. He did not have a good preseason, but he was the Panthers kicker in 2019 and 2020. So Sly has ties to both Ron Rivera and Marty Herney. We know how Ron feels about former Panthers, so just something to keep in mind. Sly went to Virginia Tech, by the way, but every indication from Ron has been that he is sticking with Dustin Hopkins. A disappointing Monday night for the Nationals. We'll get to that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home, and especially on public Wi-Fi. 
Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com slash audio. This, of course, has not been a good season for the Nationals. And so I suppose that we shouldn't be surprised that one of the most hyped games of the Nats season ended up being a dud. So the Nats on Sunday morning announced that their top prospect catcher, Kbert Ruiz, would be making his Nats debut the following night in game one of a three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. And this was exciting enough. And with the Nats starting pitcher for the game said to be Josiah Gray, the game was truly one of the more anticipated Nats games this season. Even in this lost Nats season, you had something to look forward to as a Nationals fan on Monday night, right? Ruiz and Gray, the top two prospects in a batch of four prospects that the Nats got back from the Los Angeles Dodgers for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 30th. So Monday night, August 30th, the official one-month anniversary of the trade. This could not have been set up any better. MLB Pipeline has Ruiz as a number 19 prospect in baseball and Gray as the number 53 prospect in baseball. Again, excitement. And what ended up happening on Monday night? A 7-4 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park, dropping the Nats to a full 20 games below 500 at 55 and 75. Ruiz didn't do much. Gray got rocked for the first time in six starts as a Nat. And Alcides Escobar got hurt. Uh, We'll start with Ruiz. So the Nats on Monday recalled Ruiz from AAA Rochester and option catcher Tress Barrera to Rochester. That was the expected corresponding roster move, Barrera going down to Rochester. That ends up being what takes place. Barrera can now catch on an every game basis with Rochester. And remember, rosters are set to expand come the month of September. You can go from a 26-man active roster to a 28-man active roster. So who knows? Maybe we see Tress Barrera back at a major league level sooner rather than later. Uh, When it comes to Riley Adams, the other young Nats catcher who had been getting a lot of playing time, I thought this was interesting. Davey Martinez in his pregame press conference on Monday afternoon said that Riley is going to start getting some work at first base in order to be able uh, to get some playing time here, though Davey did emphasize that the Nats still view Adams as a catcher as opposed to a first baseman. But that's good news. You know, if you can make Riley Adams more of a positionally versatile player, if you can make Riley Adams someone who brings to the table position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. That's all the better. We did see Riley Adams on Monday night. He came up as a pinch hitter, struck out against the Phillies closer, Jose Alvarado, in the bottom of the ninth with runners on first and second, nobody out, and the Nats trailing 7-4. But with Capert Ruiz on Monday night, so he was the Nats starting catcher at number six batter. He certainly sets up now to be the Nats number one catcher the rest of this season and hopefully for many seasons to come. And, you know, it was just kind of a ho-hum Major League debut for Capert Ruiz as a national. Capert Ruiz in his Major League debut for the Dodgers hit a home run in his first plate appearance. Uh, you did not have uh, any such drama or achievement in this game from Kbert Ruiz on Monday night. One for four with a single. He, in his first plate appearance for the Nats at the Major League level, came up with the bases loaded and two outs in the bottom of the first, but he popped out to Philly shortstop Freddie Galvis for the third out. Uh, Ruiz was 0 for 3 in the game before registering his first Major League hit as a Nat, a one-out bloop single to shallow center field in the bottom of the eighth inning. So an unremarkable Major League Nats debut for K. Bert Ruiz. But of course, it's not about the debut. It's about everything that happens after 
the debut. Now, for Josiah Gray, like I said, he was bad on Monday night for the first time in six starts, as in that six runs in four innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a triple, and five singles. He issued three walks. He did have four strikeouts. He threw 54 strikes versus 29 balls on 83 pitches. Gray allowed three runs in the top of the first. He gave up a leadoff infield single to Odubel Herrera on an 0-2 pitch. Gray then gave up a one-out two-run homer to the ex-nat Bryce Harper to right field, despite Bryce having been down in the count at 1.12. The homer, the eighth homer given up by Gray as a nat, but the first non-solo homer that Gray gave up as a nat. Gray issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Andrew McCutcheon, Gray gave up a one-out single to Brad Miller on an 0-2 pitch. Gray induced a grounder from Freddie Galvis for a force out that scored a run. So Gray gives up three runs in the top of the first. He gives up three runs in the top of the third. Now, things did get a little wacky in this inning, but a lot of this inning is on Josiah Gray. He gave up a leadoff first-pitch single to Bryce Harper, issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Brad Miller, issued another one-out five-pitch walk, this one of Freddie Galvis, and then Gray gave up a one-out bases-loaded three-run triple to Ronald Torres on a one-two pitch, but this triple was due largely to Yadiel Hernandez. Now, this did come on a one-two pitch, and this was a well-hit ball, so it's not like you can put all of this on Yadiel. But Yadiel was playing in shallow left field, and he ended up failing in an attempted running and backhanded catch of the baseball. And then he couldn't find the baseball off it bouncing toward the left field line. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez is not known as a very good fielder. He has done well as a batter this season. I give him credit, but he is a subpar glove man. He is a minus defender. Yadiel Hernandez came into games on Monday with minus five defensive run save this season in left field. That's not good. And you saw that on display in that moment in the top of the third inning on Monday night. Now, that was not an easy play for him to make. I'll grant you that. But that's a play to me that a good left fielder makes. A good defensive left fielder makes that catch. And Yadiel not only didn't make the catch, but he ended up losing where the baseball was. And so you ended up getting this three-run triple by Torres. And for a while, it actually looked like Torres might have an inside-the-park grand slam. Like, that's how the play was looking for quite some time. Uh, this was a bad moment for Yadiel, and it's another example, by the way, of why you can't just go by errors for fielders, because there is no error on the play. This goes down in the scorebook as a pure triple for Torres. It goes on the uh, credit card of Josiah Gray in terms of him giving up three earned runs in that top of the third. And again, Gray didn't pitch well in this game, didn't pitch well in that inning, but I think like you have to acknowledge, if Yadiel makes that play, we're maybe looking at Josiah Gray's outing a little differently. Now, Gray did end his outing uh, in a good way. A scoreless top of the fourth that he ended with a three-pitch strikeout of Bryce Harper. Also in the inning was Gray initiating a 1-4-3 double play off the bat of Gene Segura. So things could have ended worse. They did not. That's good. But for Josiah Gray, again, this was not a good outing. Six runs in four innings. He, over his first five starts for the Nats, had an ERA of 289. We did not see that Josiah Gray on display on Monday night. He seemed out of rhythm to an extent with K. Barrett Ruiz. You do wonder, I mean, this was an ultra inexperienced battery, right? Josiah Gray, the starting pitcher, K. Barrett Ruiz, the starting catcher. Maybe that had something to do with it, but, uh, you know, these guys are going to have to grow together and learn together, um, and they'll be better. I mean, Josiah Gray is better than what we saw on Monday night, but that was not a very good outing. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Josiah Gray's outing. Yeah, his tempo was a little off. I, you know, I noticed he was kind of underneath, uh, underneath his arm wasn't quite up. You know, it was, it was kind of underneath to see the balls. 
instead of being down, going down playing, it was more you know, upright. So um, we'll, we'll take a look at it. I'll watch it. You know, Hickey's, Hickey saw the same thing. Um, but he just didn't seem like he, he had that quick tempo, that rhythm, you know, the first couple of innings. And last inning, he threw the ball a lot better. But, you know, he already had 83 pitches. So um, he had a couple of innings there. We had 27 pitches. So, you know, for me, that, that was good enough for him. And it was. Alcides Escobar. So I mentioned him getting hurt. This was not good. Uh, Alcides, whatever you want to say about him, and I've had a lot to say about him, but he's done a good job as a Nat, and he got banged up. And he got banged up in a way that made you feel like he's really banged up. We'll see what ends up happening with this injury. But Alcides was, again, the Nat starting shortstop and number two batter on Monday night. But while batting with one out in the bottom of the first, he fouled a 2-1 pitch off his left knee and then left the game. And he was looking to be in a really bad way. I mean, initially when I saw this happen, I wasn't sure if he fouled the baseball off his leg. It looked like he may have twisted his knee in swinging. I mean, it was kind of a violent swing. You didn't know if like, did he tear his ACL on that swing or something like that? He really was writhing in pain. He ultimately was helped off the field by Davey Martinez and Paul Lassard, who is the Nats director of athletic training. Now, we did get some good news from Davey after the game. X-rays on Escobar came back negative. He has a contusion on the inside of his left knee. Davey says that Escobar is day-to-day. But if you have been a Nats fan for any length of time, you know that there is what you are told initially about a Nats player's injury, and then there is what ultimately happens with that Nats player's injury. So we'll see if this truly ends up being a contusion, and we'll see how much time Escobar ends up missing. But uh, hopefully he gets well soon. He looked to be, like I said, in a lot of pain in that moment. Adrian Sanchez came off the bench for the injured Escobar and played the rest of the game. Sanchez ended up taking over as the national second baseman. Luis Garcia shifted over to shortstop, and Luis actually made a throwing error uh, in this game. Luis is inconsistent defensively. He can make the spectacular play, and then the routine play can be a problem. Luis committed a two-out throwing error on a two-out full-count grounder by Gene Segura in what ended up being a scoreless top of the six for the Phillies. Uh, Garcia did have a hit in the game. He and the Nats two-run second had a single. Now, with some other potential building blocks for the Nats, more good stuff from Lane Thomas and Carter Keboom. So Lane Thomas, again, was the Nats starting center fielder at number one batter on Monday night. He now has been those things in seven of the Nats' last 10 games. He has replaced Victor Robles as the Nationals' primary starting center fielder and leadoff batter. I don't care what the Nats say. You follow the actions in sports, right? Not what you're told. The actions are screaming right now that Lane Thomas and not Victor Robles is the Nats' every game, or at least primary, starting center fielder and number one batter. And for the record, I disagree with this. I don't disagree with Lane Thomas playing. I disagree with the Nats giving up, seemingly, on Victor Robles. I wanted Robles for the rest of this season to, at the very least, be the Nats' starting center fielder every game, okay? Like, if you want to take him out of the leadoff spot, fine, although I would have preferred for him to stay in that spot. But let's see, sink or swim, Robles. Put up or shut up, Robles. Let's see what you can do the rest of the way in this lost Nats season. This is what a season like this is for, to figure out who's a piece and who isn't a piece. And maybe the Nats have already decided that Robles isn't a piece, but geez, they don't even give him through the month of August as the everyday center fielder and number one batter in terms of this run through the rest of the season. Now, Robles has not been good, but for a guy with all of his promise, for a guy who hit 17 home runs for the Nationals in the 2019 regular season, I'd like to see more. I'd like to be super sure that the guy doesn't have it as a major league batter until I decide 
that he doesn't have it as a major league batter. But Lane Thomas has been productive, and he was productive again on Monday night. One for four with an RBI single and a walk. Thomas in the Nats two-run second had a one-out full count RBI single to left field. Thomas in the bottom of the ninth drew an eight-pitch walk off Phillies closer Jose Alvarado, who is a frightening pitcher to face. Alvarado has no idea where that baseball is going when he throws it. He throws it about 150 miles an hour. So you survive a plate appearance against Alvarado. Uh, you can wear a badge of honor in doing that. And Thomas, like I said, worked an eight-pitch walk off Alvarado. Lane Thomas now over 49 plate appearances with the Nats, has an on-base percentage of 408, has an OPS of 860. And Carter Keeboom, who did not have a good series over the weekend. Carter in the Nats losing 2-3 at the New York Mets went 0-11 for with a walk and five strikeouts over the three games. But Carter on Monday night, 2-4 for with a solo homer and an infield single. Uh, Keeboom in the Nats two-run second had a leadoff infield single. And Keeboom in the bottom of the third had a two-out solo homer to left center field of Philly starter Zach Wheeler. And that was a nice shot by Carter, the homer going a projected 400 feet for StatCast. Also having another good game on Monday night was Juan Soto. And I know it can get a little repetitive with Soto. Like, he's great. We get it. Yeah, but he is great. Like, he is elite great. Your national starting right fielder and number three batter. One for three with a double and two walks on Monday night. So another game in which Soto gets on base three times. Bottom of the first, drew a two-out six-pitch walk. Bottom of the second, drew a two-out six-pitch walk. And in the Nats, one run fifth, he had a leadoff first-pitch double and then scored on a one-out wild pitch. Soto now has a major league leading on-base percentage of 442. Bryce Harper is number two in the majors in on-base percentage at 417. So Soto, 25 points better than the next best on-base percentage in the majors this season. And Soto now with a major league leading 100 four walks. Two other positives for the Nats in this 7-4 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Monday night. Ryan Zimmerman, a pinch leadoff double off Jose Alvarado on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the ninth. Again, if you survive against Alvarado, uh, you deserve like a t-shirt or some kind of prize. Uh, Zim, again, leadoff double off Alvarado on an 0-2 pitch. And the Nats bullpen was good in this game on Monday night. Patrick Murphy, Ryan Harper, and Andres Machado combined to allow one run in five innings, the one run coming off Murphy, who gave up a one-out solo homer to Brad Miller in the top of the fifth for a 7-3 Phillies lead. Game two against the Phillies at Nationals Park, Tuesday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin versus Matt Moore. And yes, we must say Patrick Corbin's name that way, Patrick Corbin, because you must hide the women and children when Patrick Corbin pitches. He has been a nightmare this season. I think everybody knows that by now. He is coming off maybe his most disappointing start of the year. Not necessarily his worst start, but his most disappointing start. A 7-5 loss at the Miami Marlins last Thursday night. The weak-hitting Marlins. Corbin in this game, six runs in three innings. He over 25 starts this season, has an ERA of 609. That is the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. And Corbin has allowed 31 homers this season, already a record for most home runs allowed by a Nats pitcher in a regular season. Um, Yeah, man, it could be ugly on Tuesday night. We'll see. I mean, it was in his start prior to that last one that Corbin was good. 4-1 win at the Milwaukee Brewers on August 20th. One run in six into third innings, seven strikeouts versus no walks. That outing offered hope. That outing made you feel like maybe just maybe there is a fix to Corbin the rest of this season. And then he was a total flop in that game at the Marlins last Thursday night.
Well, if you're Ryan Mountcastle of the Orioles, it's too bad that Tuesday is August 31st and thus the final day of the month of August. Now, if you're the Orioles in general, you're thrilled that August is ending. August 2021 will forever be remembered as the month in which you lost 19 consecutive games. But for Ryan Mountcastle, August 2021 is a month upon which you'll perhaps reflect fondly. August 2021 for an Orioles fan is the ultimate test of are you focusing on the meaningless record of a rebuilding and tanking team or are you focusing on what I keep telling you to focus on, the performances of the potential building blocks. So the O's on Monday night lost again. 7-3 loss at the Toronto Blue Jays in game one of a three-game series and a six-game road trip. The O's now have lost four consecutive games. The O's now are a major league worst 40 and 90. Yes, 50 games below 500. The O's now have a major league worst run differential of minus 235. Whatever. Ryan Mountcastle remains on fire. That's what truly matters if you're an O's fan. So Mountcastle on Monday night was the Orioles starting first baseman at number two batter, and he got on base three more times. He had a one-out solo homer in the top of the first. The homer was off Blue Jays starter and former Nats prospect Robbie Ray, who was having an excellent season. Ray came into the game with an ERA plus of 162 over 25 starts this season. 100 is average. Ray was at 162. Uh, The homer, though, was some shot. The homer went and projected 408 feet per stat cast. Mountcastle had a first pitch RBI single in the top of the sixth, and Mountcastle drew a leadoff eight-pitch walk in the top of the ninth despite having been down in the count at one point, 1-2. Mountcastle now has the following slash line this month. Are you ready for this? Batting average of 364, on base percentage of 405, slugging percentage of 803, and OPS of 803 would be good. His slugging percentage is 803 in this month of August. He has been outstanding in August. Mountcastle has been destroying opposing pitching in this month of August. He, for the season now, has 25 homers, also now has a slugging percentage of 504, also now has an OPS of 819. The O's took Mountcastle with the number 36 overall pick in the 2015 MLB draft. He was ranked by MLB Pipeline this past January as the number 77 prospect in all of baseball. This season is just his age 24 season. He is blossoming before our very eyes. It's been great to see. The only other truly notable item from this game on Monday night from an Orioles perspective, Chris Ellis was decent and his second start for the O's. It's all relative when it comes to starting pitching for the Orioles this season, but Ellis in this 7-3 loss at the Blue Jays on Monday night, one run in four and two-thirds innings. Yeah, that line these days qualifies as a successful outing for an Orioles starting pitcher. Ellis gave up just two hits, a solo homer and a single. He issued just one walk. He also issued a hit by pitch. He did only have two strikeouts. He threw 41 strikes versus 28 balls on 69 pitches. But this is where the Orioles are with their starting pitching, which has been just a complete mess this season. The O's just selected Ellis off waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays on August 20th. He now has made two starts for the O's. The Los Angeles Angels took Ellis in the third round of the 2014 MLB draft out of Ole Miss. This season is Ellis's age 28 season. Game two at the Blue Jays Tuesday night at 7.07. Keegan Aiken versus Hyunjin Ryu. Aiken is coming off the best outing of his major league career. Was that 
a mere momentary rise, never to be duplicated again? Or is it possible that Keegan Aiken is maybe figuring some things out? 13-1 win over the Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Thursday afternoon. One run in seven innings. I could not believe that Aiken pitched that well. What was so funny was that his outing started off in a bad way. He gave up a leadoff homer to Shohei Otani in the top of the first, but Aiken allowed just two singles in terms of hits the rest of his start. He came into the game over 18 games, including 11 starts this season, with an ERA of 792. Aiken had been atrocious, but he was great in that win over the Angels last Thursday afternoon. So I actually think this is a big start at the Blue Jays on Tuesday night. Was what we saw last Thursday afternoon a mirage? Or like I said, is maybe just maybe Keegan Aiken, an overall disappointing young Orioles starting pitcher this season, figuring some things out as the season wraps up. We shall see. All right, that will do it for you and me, but just for now, on Wednesday's show, episode 135, a full breakdown of the Washington football team's season-opening 53-man roster. What I like, what I don't like, what's surprising, what's telling. Send me your thoughts on the roster. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Very confident in what we've seen from, 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 from James William Smith.